Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave, they, um, unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Our Father in heaven, we know that you have given us your word because you love us, because you care about us, because you want us to know how to know you. And so, Father, when your word contains difficult things, things that are hard to hear, please help us to remember that you love us that you want the best for us. And Father, I pray that tonight we would all see in a fresh way the beauty of Jesus, that we'd see how wonderful and precious he is. Amen. Sometime after the English football team won the World Cup in 1966, the victorious captain, Bobby Moore, 
was asked how it felt to walk up those famous Wembley steps to receive the World Cup from the Queen. And he responded by saying that rather than being excited, well, he was more petrified by the prospect. As he walked up those steps, he looked up and he, he saw the Queen and he realized that she was wearing pristine, pure white gloves. And, and he looked down at his hands, and, and they were covered in mud. It had been a hard-fought game. And he realized he wasn't fit to shake hands with the queen. And so he started to, to, to rub his hands on his shorts, trying to get the mud off. But it made things worse. His shorts were, were just covered in mud. And so what should have been a thrilling moment turned out to be an awful moment for Bobby Moore as he took the cup and shook the hand of the queen because he wasn't fit to meet the queen. His hands were not clean. Tonight, as we look at Mark 7, the question for us is how can we be clean? How can we be fit? Uh, not to meet the queen of England, but to meet the king of the universe. How can we be clean to meet him, to be ready to meet him? And there is no more important question than that in life. Because right at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we're told about the new heavens and the new earth. The king of the universe will come back and bring the new creation. And it will be a wonderful place to be. A place where there's no tears, no suffering, just joy for eternity with Jesus. But we're also told that there will be no unclean thing, no unclean person. And so it is such an important question for all of us tonight. What does it take to make us clean? What does it take to make us fit to meet the king of the universe? Mark 7 contains an almighty clash between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's a clash about how to, to become clean. It's a clash between Jesus and the religious elite. And as we look at this clash, we'll see that it shows us why the gospel is radically different from any other religion in the world. And the shock for us, if we're Christians here tonight, is that the Pharisees were the, the first century equivalent of evangelical Christians today. It's a real shock for us tonight. So let's look at this clash between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the key question is, what does it take to be clean? I've got three points. Uh, the first point is the way of human religion. The way of human religion. Uh, in Mark 6, Jesus has been enjoying some success. He's performed some amazing miracles. And the crowds are starting to flock to Jesus. He be he's become a popular man. And so the Pharisees are concerned that he's becoming too popular. And so in verse 1, they, they send a group up from Jerusalem to cause trouble, to derail Jesus and his ministry. And it doesn't take them long to find a good way to attack him. Look down at verse 2. The Pharisees saw some of Jesus' disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. You can just imagine the scene, can't you? 
Um, the Pharisees had committed the ultimate religious faux pas. They hadn't washed their hands before eating. But why was this such a problem? I mean, who cares about hand washing? I mean, obviously, it's, it's good to be hygienic, but who cares that much about hand washing? Well, you see, in the Old Testament, technically speaking, only the priests were asked to wash their hands before eating certain food. It wasn't a general command for God's people. But the Pharisees wanted to show just how zealous they were, how serious they were about God's law. And so they went the extra mile. And they decided to also follow that rule for the priests. And they would wash their hands as well. It's like saying, if you're driving on the motorway, you know, the speed limit is uh, 70 miles an hour. Well, I'm going to drive 65 just to be safe, just to make sure I don't cross that golden boundary of 70 miles an hour. That was the, the Pharisees' strategy. That was their, their way of being clean. And it wasn't just hand-washing. We're told in verse 4 that they had all kinds of traditions involving cups and pitchers and kettles. And rather intriguingly, in the footnote there, dining couches as well. It covered all areas of life. And we can see the way of religion. What does it take to be clean? Well, religion says... Uh, you have this need to be clean. Well, let's establish a whole load of rules around the main issue, like a ring fence to make sure we don't cross the central law. And that way, we'll be okay. We'll be clean. It's worth just being clear at this point that, that God's law is, is good. It's a gift from God to his people. And it's a good thing to try to keep God's law. And so the Pharisees were were um, very commendable, in a way, for their passion for God's law. It is right to try to live God's way. God's law shows us what he's like, that he's holy and wants us to be clean. And so there is some weight behind the Pharisees' accusation there in verse 5. They say to Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? You know, if Jesus really is the king, if he really is bringing in God's kingdom, well, then why does he play so loose and fast with God's law? Why isn't he more careful and his disciples about keeping God's precious law? What does it take to be clean? Well, first of all, we see the way of human religion. It's full of laws and traditions and boundaries and markers to keep us safe, to keep us clean. Well, secondly, we see the weakness of human religion. Jesus is as swift as he is brutal to, to fight back with the Pharisees. Look down at verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Jesus uses the very scriptures the Pharisees claimed to love to show them that they were, in fact, miles from keeping the scriptures. He goes on in verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Somehow, in their effort, in their zeal to keep God's law, in their strategy to go 65 and not go 70, the Pharisees has somehow 
let go of God's word, God's command, and had instead followed the traditions of men. Now, this is a real shock. This is strong words. It's like saying to um, Alistair Cook, you have no idea how to play cricket. Or saying to Jamie Oliver, you have no idea how to cook food. You see, the Pharisees were the experts on keeping God's law. No one else knew how to do it better. And yet Jesus is saying, in all your efforts, and all your schemes and strategies, you are in fact going further and further and further away from God's law, not towards it. Your hearts are far from me. How could this be? How could such zealous people make such a big mistake and go so far from God? Well, verses 9 to 13, I think, give us a crucial worked example to illustrate and to explain for us what was happening. So what we have in verse 10, Jesus reminds the Pharisees about the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. But then it seems in verse 11, the Pharisees have dreamt up this idea, this thing called Corbin. It's there in verse 11. We're not quite sure what Corbin meant. We don't have all the details. But it seems to be um, a a thing where a person can can say to God, look, I've got this money. I'm going to call it Corbin. I'm going to set it aside for you, and I won't let anybody else have it. It's a gift dedicated to God. And it sounds very impressive, very noble. But what was happening was uh, the parents of this person were saying, you know, we're, we're getting old. We're a bit short of cash. Can you give us some of your money? And the person was saying, oh, I would love to, but I'm sorry. All my money is Corbin. It's all set aside for God. I can't give you any money at all. And I'm going to keep it for myself. Uh, A modern-day comparison would be this. Imagine an elderly relative rang up and said, I'm so sorry. I I hate to bring this up, but things have got so bad that I can't really manage to cut the grass in my back garden. I I just wonder if you could pop around sometime this week and and cut it for me. So you, uh, you get out your diary and have a quick look, and you go, well, oh... I've got a PCC meeting on Monday. I've got house group on Tuesday, Alpha Wednesday, Thursday is Discuss, Friday, I'm showing hospitality to Christians. Saturday, it's the day with the family. Sunday, well, of course, that's God's day. I'll, I'll be here in church. Actually, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm so busy serving God that I'm afraid I can't come around and cut the grass. That's, that's the mindset that Jesus is attacking in these verses. And it's that mindset that got him so angry, um, so worked up. The Pharisees were claiming to keep God's law, but in actual fact, they were just picking and choosing. Oh yeah, we'll we'll wash our hands and look very impressive, but we'll not honor our parents. So they claimed to be law keepers, but in fact they were law breakers. They just kept certain laws and broke others. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites, there in verse 6. Hypocrites because they claimed to honor God, claimed to follow him, but in fact, so often, they were serving their own purposes. They were keeping money for themselves, calling it Corbin. What does it take to be clean? Well, our, our second point is this, the weakness of human religion. The weakness of human religion. Now, we might think, well, surely we wouldn't fall into that trap. We we don't think that we earn favor with God by keeping his laws. You know, for us, it's all about grace. God forgives us, and so we're we're right with him. But I hope we don't think the Bible 
is split into two halves, where the Old Testament is all about works, and the New Testament is all about grace. No, right from the beginning, right from Adam through Abraham and beyond, humans always relate to God by grace, not by works. The law came to Israel after God had saved them, not before. And the Pharisees should have known this. They should have known that they relate to God by grace, not by works, as we should know. But somehow they had got their minds in a muddle. They got confused. They took these laws and sought to become clean by keeping them. And there's a danger for us that functionally, day in, day out, we actually live lives much like the Pharisees that deny grace. Well, I've got two tests to help us see if we are, in fact, living a bit like these Pharisees. The first test is the hypocrisy test. Hypocrisy test. Just, just imagine you've arranged to meet a friend for coffee in Summertown. And you know the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors. So you think, well, very well, I'm going to be prompt for the coffee because I love my neighbor. So you turn up two minutes early and you feel slightly smug. You know, I'm, I'm keeping God's laws. Well, your friend is actually 10 minutes late. And you feel a mixture of, of things. You, you feel a bit smug because you're on time. They weren't. And you feel a bit angry. They're late. How rude. And of course, when the friend arrives, you're, you're just grumpy enough that they know that you know that they're late. But not that grumpy. But you see, what's happened there is, okay, you've, you've kept one part of the law. You've, you've kind of loved your neighbor by being prompt. But you've ended up being grumpy, smug, dismissing your neighbor, and actually, in many ways, breaking God's law. But in the whole process, you feel like you've done better than your, than your friend. You feel like you're actually pleasing God more by loving your neighbor, but you're deceived. And it's so easy to be like the Pharisees, to be hypocrites, to think that we're better than other people. And, and the trap is that we pick and choose certain things. You know, we, we find the things that we're best at and say, well, I don't have a problem with my temper, but, you know, so-and-so does. And we get a bit smug. And actually, we don't love them. We don't care for them. And we break God's commands. If we pick the right areas, anybody can look good. Anybody can look sorted. But God's law asks us to keep all of it. Are we doing that? Or are we just keeping a bit of it? That's the hypocrisy test. The second test is the keeping up appearances test. When I was much younger, my mum used to ask me uh, frequently to go and tidy up my room, which was a fair request. It was very messy. But um, being lazy, I discovered that you could actually clean your room up very quickly if you uh, picked up all the dirty socks and smelly clothes and rammed them into the wardrobe and, and wedged the door closed. And if you picked up all the toys and shoved them behind the bed where you couldn't see them from the doorway. And within seconds, the bedroom looks tidy. It looks tidy. But of course, moms know where to look to find out if rooms really are tidy. It was just the appearance, just the impression of tidiness, but the reality was far from it. And it's, it's so tempting for us Christians to fall for that appearance, to come to church and live with other Christians, um, doing the right things to look sorted, you know, to look keen, to look impressive. I've been to Bible studies, I've been to prayer meetings, simply because I want to show other people that I'm keen, that I'm doing the right things. I want them to look at me and go, wow, you know, Pete, he's really keen, and he's really sorted. He must be very godly. But the question for us is, what happens when no one's around? 
after the prayer meeting, after the Bible study? What happens to us when we're on our own? What about our thoughts? What do we watch on TV when no one's watching us? The famous Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, once said this. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Have we fallen for the, the appearance uh, mistake, thinking that we're doing really well as Christians simply because we look to other Christians like we're doing well? That's what the Pharisees were doing. But God wants so much more from us than just to look good to other Christians. What about our hearts? What do we do on our own when no one's around? What does it take to be clean before God? That's our second point, the weakness of human religion. And very finally, what does it take to be clean before God? We need to see the wickedness of the human heart. Last year, one of the the major conservative election campaign slogans was Broken Britain. Do you remember it? The problem of Broken Britain. And uh, David Cameron has promised to do all he can whilst in power to try to fix Broken Britain. And in many ways, I, I applaud his observation. In so many ways, Britain is broken. Just think of the millions of people living below the poverty line whilst the bankers in London earn obscene bonuses. Just think of those young children being forced into prostitution by gangs of men right across the country. Think of the breakdown of families. Think of crime. Think of uh, the tension between religions. In so many ways, Britain is broken, and we do need Britain to be fixed. But what will it take to fix broken Britain? Look down at verse 20. Jesus went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It's some list, isn't it? It's tough reading, and um, I'm certainly convicted. It's not exhaustive. But it shows us the kinds of things that come out of my heart, of all of our hearts. The wickedness of the human heart. Britain does need to be fixed. But unless we address the heart of the problem, the human heart, it'll never be fixed. And of course, unless we address our hearts, we will never be clean before God. That's the bottom line, isn't it? No matter how we look, no matter what we do, being clean is not a matter of externals, of behavior. It's a matter of the heart. The heart of the problem is the human heart. Many years ago, a newspaper ran an article asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote in a letter simply saying, dear sir, I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. The problem with broken Britain, the problem with the world, is in fact the problem of each one of our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying to us. We all have wicked hearts, and that is why we are unclean.
That is the heart of the problem. What does it take to be clean before God? Well, this final point is sobering indeed. We need to see the wickedness of the human heart. Now, these are tough words. It's, it's been a tough sermon. It's a tough passage. It's not easy to preach on these words. I don't enjoy it, in a way, because it is challenging. It, it knocks us. But as I finish, I want to reassure us all that we can be clean, that we can be clean before God. Mark 7 is not here just to make us feel bad and rubbish about how we're doing. It's here to help us diagnose the problem so that we know where to find the cure. It would be awful, wouldn't it, if, if a patient got rushed into A&E with a heart attack and the doctor just gave them a plaster. It would be horrific, wouldn't it? And Jesus gives us these words because he loves us. He wants us to know what is wrong with us so that we will run and find the true cure, so that we won't be tempted to rely on what we do, on how we look and how we behave. These words are meant to drive us to Jesus, to run to him, because the great news is Jesus has offered us forgiveness, a new heart. On the cross, Jesus died in our place to take the punishment we deserve for exactly these things in Mark 7. So that on that final day, when we stand before King Jesus, we can be utterly confident that he accepts us, that he loves us, because we are clean. We wear robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. How should we respond? Well, I don't want to stray into next week's passage too much, but the, the lady, this, this lady from Syrophoenicia, in this next section of Mark 7, surely shows us the right way to respond. Verse 26, she falls down on her knees and she begs Jesus for mercy. She begs Jesus for mercy. And if we've understood our hearts, we should do the same, day in, day out. And the great news is, Jesus is faithful to forgive, to cleanse us. What does it take to be clean? If we believe that every person's heart is indeed wicked then of course we will want to invite our friends to Alpha because only there will they find the way to become clean. Only then will they find out how to be ready for that final day. What does it take to be clean? Every religion in the world says do. Jesus says it's done. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, these words from Jesus make for tough reading. It is unsettling to find out what we're like inside. But Father, we do thank you so much that you have taken the time to show us what we're like so that we can find the right cure. And Father, we, we pray that you'd help us to run to Jesus, to keep trusting in him, to flee to him for mercy. And we thank you that in doing that, we can have confidence that every single sin is forgiven, is wiped clean. Amen.